You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and today we're listening in on a conversation with Tom Vanderark, Dr. Emily Liebtag, and Nate McLennan as they discuss their newly published book, The Power of Place, Authentic Learning Through Place-Based Education. Emily Liebtag is the recently appointed CEO of Boundless, an organization dedicated to highlighting innovations in education. Nate McLennan is Vice President for Education and Innovation at Teton Science Schools, where he focuses his time on how to scale the impact of place-based education through technology, innovation, design learning, rural education, and school networks. And Tom Vanderark is the CEO of Getting Smart. And well, if you listen to this podcast, you definitely know Tom. Let's listen into this conversation about writing, place-based education, and the new book. Emily Leaptag and Nate McLennan, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Yeah, happy to be here, Tom. Hi, Emily. Hello. Thanks for having me on. You guys have both done um, several podcasts, and we're super, uh, super glad to have you back. We're celebrating the launch of the book we wrote together called The Power of Place. Um, I thought we could dive in uh, just by sharing uh, maybe one of your best place-based experiences of the last couple of weeks. Uh, Emily, what comes to mind? Yeah, so actually this morning I had an epiphany and then a learning experience. There's a local drugstore that I go to just down the road, and come to find out it was the place 60 years ago to the date, to February 28th, 1960, where nine young men sat and had a sit-in because they were fighting for their own rights. And it was one of the starts and the sparks of the civil rights movement here in the South. I reside in North Carolina. And when I went to the drugstore this morning, there was a bunch of commotion and they're dedicating a plaque to these nine men. And I thought, I've come to this place weekly for the past, I don't know, 10 years. And I had no idea the significance of where I was standing and of that drugstore and of that place. So I spent time talking to community members who were honoring these nine men and just learning a bit more about what had come before, the history of that place, and then how they're going to commemorate and memorialize those men going forward. And it was just this in the moment, in place, in time experience where I learned a lot more about not only my community, but something had happened there. And I wasn't even looking for a place-based experience. And there you go. Yeah, that's, it's so interesting. Um, There's a lot of serendipity involved in that, right? Absolutely. And had I not known that, I would be walking along continuing on and never knowing. And now it sparked my curiosity. And since then, coming back this morning and prior to recording with you today, I've been digging and learning and researching where the young men are today and what they're doing and have this whole new appreciation for place just a mile down the way. Yeah, it's funny how something like that can interrupt your your habit and then become um, a spark for learning and then make um, make that place will now be special in a whole new way for the rest of your life, right? Absolutely. And thinking about when I pass by that place next, if there's someone around me, how might I engage them in learning about that place? Yeah, and if I were cool. working with young people who are regularly on Franklin Street, which is where this place is, how might I engage them in learning about the significance of that drugstore and of the people that came before? Yeah, I love that. Nate, what what comes to mind for you? 
Well, mine also was this morning, uh, which was great. And it wasn't an epiphany, but it was this realization is that so I drive to work generally at the same time every morning on the same route every morning. Um, and this morning I had to put my sunglasses on for the first time because it's, it's getting lighter and the sun I realized was coming through a notch in the mountains because I live up in the Northern Rockies. And it just gave me perspective of just how we observe the world. And, and a simple thing like putting on sunglasses can then spark this whole idea of, wow, the Earth is continuing to make its trip around the sun. Um, and that's then moving the sun in perspective further north in my viewing, which then allows it to sit in that notch in the mountains, which makes me put my sunglasses on. And I think about all the learning experiences that can happen from that. And it makes me think about, okay, well, I know three months from now that sun's going to be even further along the ridge of the mountains. Uh, so again, just like Emily's talking about, and hers was more in a social cultural context and mine's more ecological, but just the, the sparks when we, when we take a look and have the lens of place to everything we do, everything becomes a possible learning experience and a, and a possible yeah, place that's of cool. Yeah. I, uh, a couple of days ago, I, I noted on my running app that I was able to leave my uh, headlamp at home and, and, uh, catch a picture of sunrise, you know, for the first time, uh, early in the morning. And I also, when I'm here in the Seattle area, I always check the tide app in the, in the morning and find that that creates this interesting connection with the, um, with the moon cycles. So it's, it's fun to watch your, your regular morning routine connect with the, uh, the motion of the earth, right? Right, right. Yeah. It gives, pers gives perspective and hits on, one of, does, our, right? one, of our, one of our principles, right, around local to global. Yeah. Really uh, understanding local to touch global and universal. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, before we started recording, I mentioned that I spent the weekend in Memphis at the Crosstown Concourse. And it's, it's uh, like High Tech High in San Diego, I think one, one of the most interesting urban redevelopment projects in America and and like uh, the high tech high um, Liberty Station example, it has a a high school right at the heart of it. It's a million square foot redeveloped uh, distribution center, and it has health facilities and um, companies, a, a YMCA, art galleries, theaters, restaurants. Um, it's just this spectacular urban village, and some of the students even live uh, upstairs in the in the apartments uh, in this urban village. And it's just one of the most interesting place-based learning opportunities that I've ever seen, where a high school is uh, deeply embedded in um, in a in a spectacular place. Um, I think all all of us believe that. Every high school has um, has some really wonderful place-based opportunities, but at uh, at Crosstown High, they are right outside the door or one floor up, and so it was um, just very exciting to see such a cool example of place-based learning over the weekend. Emily, you had heard about that school. Yes, I, I had. And I, I learned that not only is the place significant itself, but how it was designed and how it incorporated what students really wanted to see in that place was essential in the, the redesign. I just think more and more, as you described at Crosstown, students don't live within four walls anymore. They live with 
no walls, right? They're living through device globally connected. And so they want to see their learning environments be more open walled and more place-based. So yeah, I was really thrilled to hear the story behind getting to what that space looks like. It It is a great example of developing with community and not, you know, doing something to community. In most in most places, a big building like that would have been bought by a developer and then they would have done some arm twisting and put in a bunch of condos. Uh, but what happened there was an arts organization got involved early on and really co-developed with community. And, and as a result, you ended up with this magical place that had community and health and art um, at the core, not as an add-on the the magical thing is that that created such a virtuous cycle uh, that there's now venture backed uh, robotics companies moving into the into the building right next to the uh, to the high schools. So just a very cool example of developing with community and not doing to community. It's really the difference between gentrification and and sort of co construction. So cool cool project. And the benefits that brings students. We've seen this at Purdue Polytech that's located currently one space in a mall where they're learning from other people and business leaders in the space, as well as I'm thinking of Center One in Albemarle, where there's a marketing firm right next to where the school is located. And so students are doing internships every day back and forth with the marketing firm that's co-located with where the school is. And I think there's unintended and unexpected benefits of course, challenges as well, but really some interesting things can come from those opportunities when place is no longer just an enclosed school building. Right. I wonder, I also think about Roscoe Unified down in um, Texas, where they, it's a super rural place, but they've actually opened up places in their school for businesses to start, which then have a commitment like around vet tech and drone tech and ag tech, all these kind of pieces and so those businesses are now in the school, but also partnered with the school uh, to provide resources for the community. Super I think we all believe we're going to see a lot more of that in the future. IDEA, I-D-E-A in, in Tacoma is another example of, of a school with an, with an incubator. I think we're going to see more schools in incubators and more schools with incubators uh, as as it becomes apparent uh, to folks that that we're all entrepreneurs today, and that kids need a, a a chance to work with entrepreneurs to become entrepreneurs, so love that idea. I, I'm curious, Emily, if do you remember uh, the what the origin story of this book? Like, where did the idea come from, and and maybe what was your favorite part of working on it? I think for me, and you both might answer otherwise, but it was moments where we were in communities that were beginning to do deep work and thinking about what they wanted their grads to know and be able to do. And all of those countless conversations we've had with communities it re- they really didn't start with what the standards were or what the dispositions were. They all started with where did these young people live? Who do they want to become? And what can our community offer them to get them there? And it was a conversation about place. And I think it maybe looked at you, Tom, and we had this, oh my goodness, it's so much more about what 
mentors, support systems, opportunities are in a community? And then how can we bring learning into that rather than the reverse? And I think that conversation really then it you know, made us connect with Nate, who obviously has been doing this work across the nation and in the Tetons for years and years, and really just started to think differently about the purpose of learning rather than leading with just what the standards are we want them to cover, but how is place central and pivotal to young people and their time throughout K- K-12? Nate, how long have you been at Teton Science School? Uh, over 20 years now, so it's been a no long kidding. time um, and in a variety of different roles. Um, and you know, I, I think I'd answer that question. I think we approached it a little bit differently is because, as Emily alluded to, is we've been doing place-based education. It's core to our mission um, for over 50 years here at Teton Science Schools. Um, but what we recognized is that um, th- there was not a place where you could go that it was easy to access to say, what is place-based education? What does this look like in schools? And so when when um, you two uh, approached me and said, let's write this book, um, it was really an opportunity to say, how can we allow and, and give access to more schools, more teachers, more school leaders, more communities, the ability to launch place-based initiatives and really put place and the learner at the center of the, the, uh, the, the student experience. So so I think that was that was one of my main motivations um to getting this book out there you know i had the chance to join your advisory board in 2016 and uh, was immediately hooked by the uh, place Uh, obviously being in in uh, jackson is a magical place but it's really the confluence of a, a set of extraordinary educators that have been thinking deeply about this for uh, for generations, and and I, I think I knew immediately that I, in several ways, had to help uh, tell the story that you've been trying to get out. Nate, why don't we back up and and just have you share your definition of place-based education? Right. So uh, we try to keep it really simple, and uh, place-based education is about integrating learning and community. Uh, and it, we use the word and rather than with, because I think the community, uh, it can go both ways. And so uh, we look for three sort of shorter term outcomes of increasing learner outcomes, uh, increasing student engagement or learner engagement, and also teacher engagement. We find that when we work with teachers in this, this way, that, that uh, everyone's more excited to do the work of learning, which is great. And then the third um, outcome that we see is around community impact. Uh, and we'll talk more about that later, I'm sure, as we go through the, the sort of details of the book. But when we look at increased learner outcomes, increased engagement, and increased impact, those are those short-term pieces as we connect learning and community. We also talk uh, about looking at the lens of community through what we call the place triangle, which is around how do we see different aspects of a community from the ecological, the economic, the uh, social and cultural elements, and then how do we look at that across time from the past present and into the future. So those are some of the ways that we define and talk about place here at Teton Science Schools. Yeah, I, I really appreciate uh, all of those. The focus on engagement and contribution. I love the triangular lens. Uh, as we've talked many times, a lot of people will sort of limit this to outdoor education or environmental education, but you, you really have a, a robust view that it's it's not just the ecology, it's the economy, it's the 
the sociology and uh, culture and and this sort of uh, vector of history of how all three of those are changing over time. Hi, I'm Nate McLennan, co-author of the new book, The Power of Place. Something unexpected happens when you explore a community for the first time. Your worldview shifts with each question, each interaction, and each inquiry. You understand the place more deeply, and yet the deeper you go, the more you realize you have to learn. And the deeper you go, the more you see the opportunities to make a positive impact. This is the power of place. My most important learning has come from place in the outdoors, jobs, conversations, and explorations, all teaching me skills and knowledge that were just as important as what I learned in school. I see that I can make an impact. I see that I can always learn. And I see that my actions create ripple effects across communities and ecosystems. This is what our young people need to learn, that they matter and their place matters. They can make change happen in place, and every learner has the right to make a difference. You're invited to explore or continue your own place-based journey with us through our new book, The Power of Place. The Power of Place is available for order at the link in the show notes or by visiting gettingsmart.com slash powerofplace. Emily, uh, why do you think this idea is so important now? It, it does feel like it's um, b- both timely and, and rising in the national, even global conversation. Why do you think that is? Absolutely. I mean, let's be real. We're facing some really interesting times. And I think we're facing some really interesting challenges in schools, um, namely students who aren't finding purpose, aren't finding value, and are, are disengaged, quite frankly, and for good reason, right? We're not providing them experiences that get them what they need and, and get them connected to meaning into who they are. So I think now more than ever, we need to provide students with experience that are connected to community they have real world meaning and application and that they really feel like they can make a difference and do something, not just about climate, not just about politics, but just about what they care about and who they want to become in the world. And um, learning through place is absolutely a way to do that, to let them have agency of their world and of their lives. So that's why I think more than ever now places has been pivotal, but also it's emerging as just imperative. Yeah. It it feels like, you know, we've made this historical shift from print to digital. Just about every school over the last 10 years went one-to-one in, in some fashion. Uh, there's a bunch of benefits to that, uh, more personalized learning. But in some respects, I, I'm afraid that the shift to digital and the focus on standards have made learning for more kids a lot more sterile uh, and probably more more boring, right? And so in some respects, I think we are, many of us have come to the conclusion that we, um, that we probably made school more uh, boring, less engaging uh, for kids and that um, putting place back into the center of learning um, where, where it belongs is um, just maybe recentering yeah. uh, our focus. Is that right? Yeah. And I think of our friend, Julia Freeland Fisher, who has really made clear that it's 
who you know, and that that social capital and working not in isolation, but in community and with others is really what's going to help get young folks ahead, especially from an equity standpoint. So if we're doing work solo and just within four walls, we're not giving students access to that. So place, I think, opens up those networks, those opportunities and get to know your neighbor. They might be your best mentor advisor for years to come. Who knows? Yeah. And Julia is a great example because the Christensen Institute, uh, you know, along with folks like uh, Getting Smart, we're leading advocates for, for blended and personalized learning. And so for, you know, for somebody like Julia to step back and say, you know what, uh, blended learning is great, but it it's also uh, who you know uh, that matters a lot. And, and I think the three of us would add uh, to that, it's the, you know, the place that, uh, that, you know, uh, that, that matters a lot. I wonder, uh, it makes me think, Emily, you mentioned agency and equity and, uh, makes me think of the three, the, we use three themes to run throughout the entire book, uh, agency and equity and community as these long-term distal outcomes for place-based education. Uh, and, and so the agency about how do we give students, um, all the skills and knowledge and also the belief that they can make change happen. And then the equity that everybody has the right to make a difference in the world, not just those certain few that have access. And then, and then tying into community is saying, is saying we can, young people can help make our community stronger. And when they become adults, they will be well-versed in this ability to make an impact and make contribution happen. So those themes of agency, equity, and community are really a thread that connects the entire book together as we are writing. And uh, both of you are just alluding to that. I don't know where those came from, but the, those are beautiful themes and you guys did a, a wonderful job um, using them as a, a kind of a thread to, to tie the book together. Uh, much of the book is is organized around design principles that Teton Science Schools uh, identified some years ago. So I'd love to just uh, take a quick spin through the the design principles. They start with learner centered. Emily, what what does learner centered have to do with place based education? I actually want to just pause and piggyback off of what Nate just said because it's central to this design principle, learner centered. Nate, you just said everyone deserves the right to make a difference, right? And so if we're thinking about place and how it's learner-centered, it's exactly that, that every young person has something within them that school and learning experience should help unleash and then provide them the opportunities to do something with that or to explore that. And that's what I think about when I think of how learner-centered environments and place are connected, that the way one young person experiences a place and what they want to contribute or they want to do and work on might be different than another person or another young learner. And that what we design and facilitate for students should be allowing them to explore and discover not only themselves, but what it is they want to give and do in that place. Yeah, that's, um, that's a beautiful sentiment that we do all experience place in a in a different way it it reminds me yesterday i was at latitude high in oakland and i was speaking with one of the advisors and they've had a really tough journey as a school because they're still trying to get into their building but for the time being they're in this spectacular college setting on the top of a mountain in in oakland and she said tom i some days i just will take one of my 
advisees and we'll go for a walk to the crest of a hill and uh, look out at the at the vista and just sort of reconnect with you know who we are and where we are um, and and place can have a, a magical way to uh, allow us to do that Tom it reminds me of uh, you've added uh, you always talk about complexity and uncertainty is that that we're training young people to manage complexity and uncertainty into their futures. And uh, you added the other day when we had a conversation, this idea of mutuality is that, uh, is that, that place brings people together. Uh, and, and you just gave a great example does, of that. Uh, and yeah. how do we help students and young people see that uh, the success and the future of our world and the people that, and, the, and everything that lives within it will, will depend on mutuality rather than individualism. Yeah, I love that idea. It's interesting how a walk in the woods um, or just a walk around the block can insert the power of place into what could be a difficult or troubling uh, circumstance. It's just this interesting mitigating uh, sort of undeniable feature uh, that that can be really powerful uh, in, in any kind of a setting. Nate, you guys often talk about local to global. What does that mean? Right. Uh, so the second principle, we really think about uh, how do we understand local first to connect to global? Um, and the most discreet example that I often give when I work with teachers in schools is um, in elementary school, often students learn about the rainforest uh, at a young, a pretty young age, which is fine and they may engage in it, uh, but they really have no knowledge of the trees um, and the flora outside their own classroom building. Many of them don't. And so what we do is flip-flop that, is that it's fine to learn about the rainforest, but understanding the local flora first and fauna first will help students build on their prior knowledge, which we know is a core tenet of learning sciences. So if we want to make things sticky and we want them to understand at a young age about uh, different ecosystems around the world, they should understand their local ecosystem first. Uh, or they should understand what, how business works in their town before understanding how business works at a national scale and or government. And there's countless examples. So I think about a school in Alabama that we work with, uh, University Charter School. And one of the projects they're working on down there was around agriculture. And the topics they had to cover were agriculture around the world. And they started with what is the local agriculture in that region? What are people growing in their gardens? What are the crops that are grown? before extending and comparing to what happens uh, around the world. And that's just, it's just a stickier way to learn. And it really is. Yeah, it is. But it is cool how this can work both directions. Yeah. You can hear about something on the television and then a teacher can connect it to something right outside the door to their classroom. Right. We've we've even started to uh, replace the word two with a a two-sided arrow uh, going in both directions because we've had these conversations is that, there's also, because of media, there's all sorts of sparks that happen in students' heads and how can they connect those global events to what's happening in their own backyard, like you were alluding to. Yeah, and the next one's uh, inquiry-based, and I, I love that one. I, this really means starting with questions instead of answers. Uh, I, Nate, you earlier talked about complexity and uncertainty, and that's really going to be a big part of every young person's life. So h- how to give them the confidence to to walk into complexity and know that uh, the solution is to start by asking questions uh, to begin to understand what, what kind of an issue they're dealing with and then to do some empathy research to understand how people 
uh, also being affected by that are, uh, are, are living in challenge. So how to start with inquiry. What else would you add to that, Nate, about your approach? Right. I, I often think about it. I couch it in the terms of, of really understanding what is in the world. And so it goes back to your yeah. first prompt for us around what was your place-based experience uh, sometime in the last few weeks. And um, what, what we, we need to do is take this innate skill that all babies are born with, which is observation and questioning, and continue uh, to perpetuate and promote that as they go through their schooling and adult lives. We need, we need people to be great observers uh, from different perspectives and ask great questions. So I would just add the observation piece. I, I talk a lot about walking around with our eyes wide open rather than with um, um, our eyes closed. Yeah, I love that. And just the, the way you enculturate the three lenses of uh, economy, ecology, and culture so that you talked about putting your sunglasses on today, that they're thinking about the lenses that they're using to look at the world. So I love that. Emily, the next one's design thinking, and you and I have had the chance to visit the best design thinking schools in the world over the last five years. Why is that a big deal? I think it's a huge deal when it comes to place, because if we think about traditional sit and get learning, that assumes that the world is today as it was yesterday and as it will be tomorrow. That's just not the case. In this conversation, things have drastically changed. Things are rapidly escalating, accelerating at a rate with which none of us can predict and none of us like as a human species, quite frankly, can't handle just yet. So to me, and that applies to place, right? The world is, is just changing. So design thinking is essential in that the world is not as it's going to be today as it, it will be tomorrow and that we need young people who see the world in an iterative way and that they can be solutionaries or that they can be a part of recreating and creating a world anew rather than repetition of the old. Uh, that's why design thinking to me is, is just so such a good way to approach teaching and learning when it comes to place because what we're creating has to be an iterative process. Yeah, I love that. So I love the solutionaries term um, and just getting some reps in, right, of mm -hmm. knowing that you can walk into a complex situation and produce value for a constituency that, man, that's agency building. Yeah, and just exercising that muscle and going through the process of leading with a cause or in, and with empathy and then figuring out a way to build, create or generate something new. Um, I think of our friend or uh, honored friend, Wendell Berry, who says in a piece, our sense of wholeness is not just the sense of completeness in ourselves, but also in the sense of belonging to others and to our place. It is an unconscious awareness of community. And to me, that deems not sit and get, that deems we need young people who are creating using design thinking and coming up with solutions that don't only benefit themselves, but benefit their place and community. Yeah, it's a beautiful quote. We'll include that in the, in the notes. Um, Emily, I love the idea that it starts with that sense of community. So let's, if we take equity seriously, then place-based has to begin with attachment, uh, and a sense of belongingness. Um, that means creating safe, 
places, places where basic needs are met. Uh, and then from that place, creating um, th these steps as solution areas where, where everyone experiences success, making a difference for their community. Agreed. Right, right. And I just, I would just say that from a design thinking perspective, and it ties nicely in the community as classroom is uh, with equity is that really understanding that everyone has a unique view of place. Uh, and when we think about the place triangle and historical perspectives, present and future, we also think about equity and, and the different lenses that uh, any individual has. One person might see incredible um, outcomes and, and positivity in their community. Another might have the, the diametrically opposite reaction. And so when we go into design thinking, we have to think about that as an equity lens saying, uh, and that goes back to the interviewing for empathy, et cetera, when we're defining our challenges in the beginning of the process. Um, from the community's classroom, uh, this ties pieces together and we've been alluding to a lot of them. And I, I think the, the, the most important pieces from community as a classroom are around um, this idea of learning ecosystems is that everything is an opportunity for learning. And I think in our, our modern system of schooling, we've often said learning happens in school and then there's all these other things that occur in, in a um, young person's life, but they don't count. And so I think a lot about uh, learning ecosystems and how do we expand the definition of schools and learning so that when a student is out in the community doing something and learning in a particular way or learning a particular thing, it can count towards whatever they're thinking about. And PlaySpace really helps provide tools for that. The second is this idea of scale, is that uh, when we think about place-based education, it's not necessarily students always have to go out off campus, out into the community, but it could be thinking about place as a classroom, place as a school, place as uh, the town or city or region, et cetera. So whatever is accessible to that school um, can be defined as place. It's really where they can inquire and make a difference using design thinking. And then the last piece is this idea that community can come into schools and, and schools have schools have done a good job at this of bringing in visitors and them giving presentations. I think where we've not done a good job in schools is saying, how do these one shot deals of, of great invited guests coming in, how do they tie distinctly into place based projects? How do they become assets and resources and experts to make projects more whole and more inclusive in the community? So that's how I think about community as a classroom. Yeah, I love that. Nate, I was uh, at Crosstown High on Friday, and they have a project called 901, which is the local Memphis zip code in it. The project started with a bus trip into three Memphis neighborhoods where kids um, had the opportunity to learn about uh, neighborhoods with the, the lenses that you described, the economy, ecology, and, and culture. And then each student had the chance to pick a topic that they wanted to go deep on to do some research on and, and then write up some uh, recommendations. And so it was a, a, a beautiful example of using the community as the classroom, uh, creating agency and voice and choice for young people to, uh, to do some deep dives, but then a project that was really packed with research and writing standards. Uh, the teachers also brought collaboration standards into those projects. So just a very thoughtful learner experience design uh, using the principle of community as classroom. Emily, do you want to cl close us out with just uh, some thoughts on interdisciplinary 
learning? Sure. I think when we consider place, nothing is happening in isolation. So I'll take the example that I shared this morning when I was downtown near the drugstore. There were historical underpinnings of what I was experiencing. There was a writing project that could have sprung from my experience. There were environmental factors and thinking about the architecture and how that's changed over time. And just nothing really is happening in isolation. It never really has. We tried to siphon things off into subjects and more and more we're returning to this idea that things are interdisciplinary as is place. Um, We see more and more schools working in projects across subject areas because of just the natural the natural way with, with, with which things are interconnected. And again, that is absolutely the case when it comes to place. And so we invite people, and you'll experience this in the book, to consider when you look at a place to not just see it as single subject, that I'm experiencing a place to learn environmental science. No, there's so many different things that you can bring in to a project or an experience with place. And you'd be remiss if you didn't, because there's so much to be learned and see when you reveal for students, or rather students reveal for themselves, that interconnectedness. Um, They then begin, and Nate, I'm sure you could attest to this, begin to see the interconnectedness within each other and within communities and within past projects and work. It's a funny term because, uh, as you said, uh, projects aren't disciplinary in nature. It's just a weird construct that we've created in, in education. So uh, life happens and school is organized in discipline. So how to break down those walls so kids can really experience challenges and, and opportunities in a real and authentic way. For sure. If you lead with, say you do lead with a science project through place, exploring the biology of, of something, right? And then you need to work in different math skills or an English assignment. The students that are compelled by the nature of the project or the driving question of the project that's tied to science are going to be so much more inclined to learn that math skill or apply that math skill if there's a real reason for them to do so. So I just think it's also to our benefit to find those ways with which things come together rather than silo them and see how they break apart. Uh, Nate, what what will people get out of this book? I think the book is, is really geared for any practitioner or anybody involved in education and even parents um, and probably young people that are having some agency in their school to say, what could school look like? And how could it look different to really engage in our community? Uh, So they'll get uh, a little bit of the background theory, um, but we were pretty light on theory and really heavy on exemplars and actual tangible things that teachers can do right now. So I think anybody in this book uh, could find something that's relevant for them in their classroom, in their whatever their learning experience that they're working on um, and run with it within a couple of days. So it's meant to be super accessible uh, to really start place-based education from the ground up. And you guys both packed the book with so many examples that range from, you know, whole school models like Teton Science to the teacher that just opens their door and looks out and takes advantage of uh, what's outside the classroom. So from small to large, everybody can make use of uh, of place. 
Um, Emily, other thoughts on uh, why this book or what's next in place? I think for anyone who's trying to readjust their schema and figure out what's next for them as an educator, place is not is a great is a great place to start. <laughs> it's not a new theory. It's a coming together of what we know is tried and true and really works and creates meaning for young people, as Nate referred to the the founding reasons for why they got started in this work. And so I think any educator who just knows they need to get back to really meaningful learning experiences will find value in this book and see that there's things they're already doing that really relate to place and that it's not a new set of theories to learn or a new set of a new set of constructs. Rather, it's bringing together what we know just really is impactful for communities and for young people. That's great. And Nate, uh, one of the things that you're working on is building out this uh, place network. Uh, give us a quick update on that. Yeah, so Place Network is uh, based off of the model we have here in our own pre-K through 12 school um, in Wyoming and Idaho. And we've really found a network of partner schools that want to adopt and implement a school redesign using this model, this place-based education model. So we've wrapped the six principles uh, with, with four tools of project-based learning, competency-based uh, assessment, personalized learning, and an SEL component, social emotional learning component. And we're currently partnering with 13 schools across the country. Uh, we'll grow to 16 uh, next year and then uh, 20 plus the year after that. Focused um, specifically on rural and higher poverty areas, although working with some partners in various geographies uh, based on fit. So um, we're excited and uh, we're seeing some really interesting learning around the network of how people are making this place-based education model come alive in their communities and how those students are making impact in their communities. So exciting to see possibilities and our goal is to grow to 100 to 150 schools over the next 10 years. That's really exciting. Uh, Nate, where can people find you online? Yeah, www.tetonscience.org. Uh, if you go to that webpage um, and look at School Network, you'll find all sorts of information about the science schools and uh, the network itself. How about on Twitter? Where can they find you? At N McClen, N-M-C-C-L-E-N-N. -N. Great. Uh, Emily, where can people find you online? At Emily Leaptag, L-I-E, B as in boy, T-A-G. It means day of love in German, if you wanted to know. And at goboundless.org. Hey, this is such a treat, uh, writing this book with you guys. It was a beautiful journey. Uh, I think back to that uh, spectacular September writing retreat that we had at the, at the Murray Ranch. Uh, remember that, Nate? Oh, yeah. The, the Murray Ranch is one of the, the, the very special places on Earth. It's up in Grand Teton National Park. It's wow. run, by, run by Teton Science Schools. And that was uh, a great place to get writing done and uh, to talk big picture about how uh, the world can be changed by young people. Yeah, what a wonderful experience. Thanks uh, for letting me go on the journey with you guys. And thanks for being on the Getting Smart podcast today. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Have a great day. 
A big thanks to Emily and Nate for taking time to talk with us for this week's episode. We're so excited about the launch of The Power of Place. You can pick up a copy at the link in the show notes or by visiting gettingsmart.com slash powerofplace. And if you're starting to plan your summer PD, we'd love to help. We're ready to lead workshops, conversations, book clubs, and all sorts of great opportunities to help your team understand and build impact around the power of place. And for more on all things innovations and learning, be sure to check out our blog, gettingsmart.com. Lastly, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And so every Wednesday morning, our latest interview is ready for you to press play. That's it for today, listeners. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica signing off. Thank you.